Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, June 24th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, Chris, let's get right into the news today. And uh, there's sort of a fascinating tidbit from uh, one of our good buddies, Steven Spielberg, that came out recently. Why don't you tell me about that? Yes. Uh, rumor has it that Universal went to Spielberg and asked him uh basically if they could reboot jaws if they could do make a new jaws i guess franchise or a new jaws movie it's it's not entirely clear but the bottom line is they pitched this idea to steven spielberg and steven spielberg said absolutely not and we're all the better for it Okay, so Spielberg says no. This sounds a lot to me like the uh, the sort of Back to the Future thing where um, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis have said, like, you know, basically, you cannot make any new version of Back to the Future unless we sign off on it until we're dead. And then after that, you can kind of do your own thing. And obviously, Jaws is like one of Spielberg's biggest and and sort of most, um, I don't know, most associated with him movies of his entire career. But uh, Chris, if you will, if you'll humor me for a second to um, to take the Peter Serretta role here on, on this episode and play devil's advocate for just a second. Is there a world in which a Jaws reboot is actually a kind of a good idea with the right filmmakers behind it? Obviously, um, maybe if Spielberg himself was uh, was producing it or something like that, if he was involved in some way, would is just the the idea of a Jaws reboot so um, offensive to you that you couldn't imagine, couldn't conceive of a scenario in which that would work? Or do you think there is a scenario where that might work? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think, um, you know, I know we should never say never, but let's get real. This is a bad idea and they should not do it. I'm sure they will. I'm sure, uh, you know, I hope this doesn't happen for a long time, but whenever Steven Spielberg shuffles off this mortal coil, I'm, I'm positive universal is going to be like, all right, we're remaking jaws. But, uh, I, I don't think it's a good idea. I, I'm not anti-remake in general. I don't think, you know, no movies should ever be remade. But I just, there's there's really, there's nothing anyone can offer to this story. Just make a new shark movie. It doesn't have to be Jaws. Just do, 
you know, do something else. Do the shallows part two. I'll watch that. But this, <laughs> this, just, just don't do this. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that's a that's a fair and level headed answer. Um, speaking speaking of level headed, let's talk a little bit about the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, so over the past several years, there's been a sort of beef, a growing beef, um, uh, this sort of percolating uh, beef between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson, who are two of the biggest forces behind this this franchise. Um, the, I mean, the whole thing is too complicated to even recap right here, but words like candy ass were thrown around on Instagram. The the general gist of it, as far as I can recall, is Vin Diesel's behavior on sets were uh, described by some and, and sort of taken umbrage with uh, as sort of like, a, you know, diva-ish behavior where he would like stay in his trailer for a long time and keep people waiting on sets and stuff like that. Uh, and Dwayne Johnson in particular was somebody who uh, who did not take kindly to that kind of behavior uh, on set. So he like called out Vin Diesel for it. There was this whole big thing. Tyrese threatened to leave the franchise at one point. Um, there were several stories around, I think, the, the fate of The Furious, which came out in 2017, that said that these guys had squashed their beef. Everything was fine. You know, they'll be in movies together again later on in, the, in this Fast and Furious franchise. But uh, with F9 coming out in theaters, I think tonight is when like it officially debuts. Um, Men's Health did a profile of Vin Diesel and they sort of asked him about these, you know, these little tiffs that he was having with Dwayne Johnson. And he, uh, I don't know if Vin Diesel knows what he's doing, if he's doing this to sort of twist the knife and like purposefully reignite this feud that was going on. But he essentially took credit for... Dwayne Johnson's acting performance. He said, my approach at the time was uh, a lot of tough love to assist in getting that performance where it needed to be, referring to um, the Hobbs character that uh, that Dwayne Johnson plays. He says, as a producer to say, okay, we're going to take Dwayne Johnson, who's associated with wrestling, and we're going to force the cinematic world audience members to regard his character as someone that they don't know. Hobbs hits you like a ton of bricks. That's something that I'm proud of, that aesthetic. That took a lot of work. Uh, his quote goes on there, but... Um, I mean, wow. Like, I don't, I don't even really know what to say to this. This just seems like completely delusional behavior to me. It seems as if Diesel was basically saying here that like all of the uh, shit talking and behind the scenes squabbling and all of that stuff was part of like a long con on his part to coax out the correct performance that he wanted from Dwayne Johnson as a producer on this franchise. So, I mean, uh, Chris, any thoughts on on this at all? Uh, I think Vin Diesel is a hundred percent telling the truth, and this this all happened exactly the way he said it happened. Uh, why, who are we to doubt Vin Diesel? Uh, he, you know, he would not, he wouldn't lie to us. So he's he's clearly this this is this all happened, and uh, Dwayne Johnson, in fact, probably just owes his entire career to uh, Dwayne Johnson to uh, Vin Diesel. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, I hope he uh, he sends him like an edible arrangement or something to, to thank him. Yeah, I like I like I like that approach. Um, I mean, I I'm a, I just like I cannot imagine reading that if you're Dwayne Johnson and and not being like insulted or offended at somebody uh, at anybody really, you know, taking credit for your work in that way. Um, I mean, I love the Fast and Franchise fast and furious franchise probably more than anybody else on the slash film staff but like oh geez uh vin diesel man you could have just maybe not said anything i don't know i'm very curious to see if, jo- if johnson himself is going to sort of like take the bait here and like actually respond to this as of 
this recording, I checked his Instagram just a second ago to see if he'd made any sort of allusions to this or whatever, and he has not said anything. So uh, it looks like he's being the bigger man in this I gotta, instance. But. I got to ask you, Ben, as, yes. as the resident Fast and the Furious expert, do you think there's a chance that this is all for show, that Vin Diesel and, and Dwayne Johnson are both in on this? It's like a wrestling thing, basically. They're all, they're, they're, they're pretending to have a rivalry because they know it'll, you know, sites like ours will be like, Oh shit, we got to write about this. And it, you know, there's no such thing as, as bad publicity anymore. So uh, I, I, do you think there's like a, a chance? You know, I think when this, the, when this whole thing first started, like 20, whatever that was, 20, geez, 15, 16, 17, I think I was definitely, I was like, I was 90% convinced that it was all fake. And I think there was a theory going around at one point that like it was going to lead to some sort of WrestleMania match or something where Vin Diesel and The Rock got in the ring together. And it was all, yeah, just sort of like a, um, you know, a light conspiracy of like all of this is just to drive publicity and stuff. And and uh, considering Vin Diesel's, um, you know, he's he's actually like a pretty good uh, producer and, and a pretty good uh grand storyteller in terms of being you know one of the the pure creative forces behind this franchise and weaving together all of these disparate elements and and coming up with like building the mythology out of uh, a franchise that started with somebody stealing combo vhs and dvd players um so the idea of him like taking that to a meta level and and sort of extending this out into a fight that that isn't real but just drives attention is not um is not crazy to me at all but i think there's also just like real ego stuff at play here. And I think that's really what's going on. I I wish it was uh, all a publicity stunt because that would make me love this whole thing even more. But um, I really think that it's just like he, he feels a lot of ownership over this franchise and is, or was really threatened by, by the rock when he came in there and, and really like kicked it up to the next level in fast five. Yeah. All right, uh, so let's move on to a different major movie star, and that's Scarlett Johansson. And um, she, you know, she's going to be a Black Widow fairly soon. I think that maybe is probably going to be the last big Marvel thing that she's in, at least for a little while, at least that we know about. Um, aside from, I think she might be uh, contributing to the What If animated series, but like basically the entire, you know, anybody who's ever been in the MCU is, is pretty much going to uh, contribute to that show. But uh, Scarlett Johansson has a, a new movie in the works at Disney. Chris, tell me about that one. It is a Tower of Terror movie based on, of course, the popular, I assume it's popular. I don't really know much about Disney stuff, but it's it's, it's based on the ride at Disney. Um, it's located at Disney's Hollywood Studios, Tokyo Disney Sea, and Walt Disney Studios Park. Uh, it used to be at Disney's California Adventure, but they shut it down to rebrand it as a... Uh, guardians of the galaxy ride but uh the gist of the tower of terror ride is you go into a building that's set to look like an old abandoned hotel you get in an elevator and that elevator drops you know and you're you're terrified that you're going to die and of course you're not going to and uh everyone has a good time and it's light and fun and everyone gets off laughing and uh now they're turning it into a movie with scarlett johansson set to star and produce. And I should also add, this isn't the first time this happened. Back in 1997, there was a Tower of Terror movie made for TV starring Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst. And I, I'm pretty sure that was released like the same time they were opening the ride. And it was meant to like promote the ride. Mm. 
So have you seen that movie by any chance, Chris? I have not. Uh, you know, I, I like horror stuff. I like the idea of the Tower of Terror, but I did not watch the the made for TV movie. I feel like I might have. It came out in 1997. It might have been like uh, on the Disney Channel or something around that time. Or maybe they played it in reruns a few years later or something. Um, but man, I, I don't really remember any details about that. But um, but in terms of like a, a Tower of Terror movie, uh, Chris, this seems like one of the few rides at Disney World that you would, or whatever, uh, at, at the Disney parks that you would actually enjoy. I mean, this and Haunted Mansion, I feel like would be your back yes. because it sort of has that, um, you know, that sort of like gothic aesthetic and uh, the little, you know, the, the uh, cast members who are dressed as like old school, you know, hotel valet attendants and all of that kind of stuff. It just sort of seems like your, your vibe. Um, have you been to, I've probably asked you this before, but I don't remember. Have you ever been to a Disney park at all? Yeah, I went when I was a kid to whatever the one is in Florida. I can never get them right. What is the one in Florida? Disneyland or Disney uh, That's World? Disney World. All right. So I went to the Florida one when I was very young. Uh, and it was fine. I, I, uh, I won a, uh, I don't want to turn this to a luck story, but my family like won <laughs> the McDonald's monopoly. I think I kind of told the story. Oh yeah, me. that's so right. My, my father used to work for McDonald's and, uh, when he was alive and he scammed the McDonald's monopoly, much like that docu-series <laughs> yes. McMillions, although he didn't do it as bad as that. He didn't like make us billions of dollars. Instead, he just scammed it so that he got us a free trip uh, on the big red boat, which doesn't exist anymore. And the big red boat took us to Florida and then the Bahamas. And part of the trip was Disney and universal. And I like universal more than Disney, but I did like, uh, the haunted mansion ride. And I liked the pirates of the Caribbean ride. And that's really the only two things that really stood out for me at Disney. I don't think the tower of terror even existed when I went. Yeah, that's a shame. I, I really think that you would, you would dig that. But, um, Man, what a wild story. I cannot believe I forgot about that story. Okay, so real quick, before we move on from that, uh, just one more question about that because I, I cannot help myself here. Did you know at the time that uh, that the whole thing was was sort of rigged or did you really think that, you know, that oh, this no, was a no. legitimate thing? I, I absolutely knew it was rigged and it was like a whole thing where my parents are like, don't tell anyone because we don't want to get in trouble. You know what? Now that you say that, I think I've asked you that before on this podcast too. So I apologize to our listeners. I apologize if my memory is terrible uh, and for making you repeat yourself, Chris. No, but, it's um, fine. It's, <laughs> I'd rather talk about that than anything else. Let's talk about my past. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Jerry Seinfeld. That seems like a, a good transition here. Um, Jerry Seinfeld is making a movie for Netflix and he actually has a, a I think, a, a some sort of distribution deal with Netflix where his um, his comedy show uh, comedians and cars getting coffee is on that service now. He's got a couple stand up specials that are on that service now that he's made over the past few years. But uh, Seinfeld is actually going to be making like a narrative feature film, which um, you know he obviously he was the star of Seinfeld, which is like one of the biggest uh, and most successful sitcoms of all time. But he has not really had much of a movie career. He was in. He sort of, um, I think he co-wrote and produced and, and lent his voice to the animated movie B-Movie, but uh, and that was in 2007. And he has not really done much beyond, you know, popping up in little cameo parts here and there. But this sounds like he's going to direct, produce, co-write, and star in a movie called Unfrosted, which is going to be about the creation of Pop-Tarts. And uh, I kind of thought that was a joke for a second when I saw this, but evidently Jerry Seinfeld has been doing a bit in his standup about the creation of Pop-Tarts for uh, over 10 years now. Um, the earliest version I could find on YouTube 
dated back to 2010, where the bit is just, you know, him talking about like how uh, his life and, and his friends' lives changed so dramatically when Pop-Tarts were invented in the mid sixties and like how, you know, everything it, it's, I'm, I, I'm not going to do it justice, but uh, I have embedded a couple Come of on, videos. Come on, do the bit, do the whole bit. <laughs> I, I have not committed it to memory. Do the Seinfeld voice and everything. What's, What's the, the deal? deal? <laughs> Pop-Tarts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Spike Ferenston and Barry Martyr, who are two guys who have worked with Seinfeld on the show Seinfeld, they also co-wrote B-Movie with him, are co-writing the script for Unfrosted. And uh, and yeah, Jerry Seinfeld is going to be directing and, and starring this movie. Um, he said, stuck at home while watching endless sad faces on TV, I thought this would be a good time to make something based on pure silliness. So we took my Pop-Tart stand-up bit from my last Netflix special and exploded it into a giant crazy comedy movie. Um, that's kind of all we have to go on here in terms of like plot details. I guess it's just about the invention of Pop-Tarts. Um, I'm not sure how that squares with his description of a giant crazy comedy movie, but in 2018, he tweeted at one point, I was thinking about an invention of the Pop-Tart movie. Imagine the drunk on sugar power Kellogg's cereal culture of the mid sixties in Battle Creek, Michigan. That's a vibe I could work with. Um, so that was, yeah, like I said, 2018, was several years ago. And now this movie is actually coming to pass. Um, I think I saw somebody on Twitter say that this is going to be the first time that Jerry Seinfeld appears in a movie that, uh, or, or maybe appears in anything that is where he's not playing a version of him, like where he's actually playing a fictional character. So uh, this is kind of a, a notable uh, film in that regard. Um, Chris, where are you on Jerry Seinfeld these days? Have you, you know, checked in, kept up with him at all? Or what, what, are you, what is your take on the Seinfeld show and his sort of legacy as a comedian? You know, I watched episodes of Seinfeld. I haven't seen like the whole thing. I was never really huge into Seinfeld. I just, it's not like I didn't, it's not like I disliked it. I just never was like. I know it was like a big thing and it was like a big cultural thing. And I, I just never got really swept up in it. Um, I think Jerry Seinfeld can be funny, I guess. Uh, I don't, you know, I, he's not like if someone was like, who's, who's a comedian you find really funny. Mm -hmm. uh, he would not even be like in the top like 30 for me probably. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but uh, as for this, uh, I'm uh I'm ready to retire at this point because <laughs> I was going to say, do you think there's any potential in a, in a story, a movie about the creation of pop tarts? You know, it's, it's tough because I'm in a bad headspace right now. So everything just seems bleak to me, but <laughs> man, the fact that we're, we're entering this period where Hollywood is like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Maybe we should make origin stories for snack foods. Cause they're making the, the red hot Cheetos. Movie yes. too, And it's like, <laughs> yeah. is this where we are now? We're, like Hollywood just is like so fucking bankrupt that all they can green light right now, or it's gotta be something, you know, like that's, that's all they want. Now the audience has to know what it is. It can't be something new. So what does the audience know? Uh, food. Let's make an origin of food. Like next there's going to be like the, the fucking big Mac origin store. I guess we kind of already got that with the, the Michael Keaton, the founder movie. Mm -hmm, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just, and that movie was fine, I guess. So maybe there is a chance you could make something fun about the 
the invention of pop tarts just like what is that story like yeah i i I hope that um that it sounds more creatively bankrupt in this sort of brief form where we don't have any actual details about what's going on than it ultimately feels when we get to see this thing and it's done um i am a little intrigued by his description of it as this giant crazy comedy movie because it sounds i mean like the uh, the comp, as they say in Hollywood, is is the founder to me. There's just like a small scale sort of human story about the creation of this thing. And we've seen movies like that a ton of times, but I would never refer to any of those as like giant or crazy. Um, and even the comedy aspect of it is is maybe a little bit unique in this space. So um, and like the the idea of Seinfeld, you know, putting all of his chips in this basket uh and, and sort of stepping into the movie world in a in a big way in a way that he hasn't before um I, i'm i'm intrigued by this but yeah i, I definitely share your skepticism at like and, and just general disdain with um the the concept of intellectual property expanding out into foods now instead of just you know we're we're not we're past the point where uh like we're no longer just uh recycling old movies it's now um you know the the reach has expanded and we're now grabbing at any recognizable thing at all so everything is becoming a commercial basically we're gonna get like fucking like the the bud light movie next like this, <sighs> is, this is where we're going where everything is just going to double it's like a movie and also an ad that's where we're headed and uh, yeah man i i don't know I, I i if that's true and you know chris i wouldn't put it past hollywood for <laughs> for the industry to sort of really adopt that franchise in a, in a legitimate way um i just hope that there's enough creativity out there where people can um can take these concepts that sound terrible and in sort of a lord and miller style and actually do something that uh that makes them feel not quite as um as soulless as they initially appear so uh we'll have to see if that's the case for unfrosted which i I couldn't even keep a straight face finishing that sentence but um all right i think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, of course, and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.